The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4089 of The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual, visual, visual and visual world. With me, Andy Zoltzman, the self-styled Jimi Hendrix of non-alliterative nicknames. Still got it. Uh, Zoltzman <laughs> here in uh, Old London Town, joining me all the way from India, but with me in London to try and recover uh, his nation's property. Presumably, it's Anuvab Pal. Hello, Anuvab. hello, Andy. Hello. Um, I have to say, Andy, this is my first winter in the United Kingdom, oh, right. and I can now see why you needed a hot country. Ah, yes, yes. The history <laughs> is starting to explain itself. <laughs> um, and uh, and how are you enjoying the the London the, the November weather? It's lovely. I can't tell the difference between day and night. <laughs> <laughs> I think the sun comes out once over six months here yeah. during the winter. That's enough. It's yeah. enough. Yeah. I think. Um, but it's yeah, it's lovely. It's the uh, the original uh, Fifty Shades of Grey was not, in fact, an erotic novel. It was nope. uh, merely a description of a walk through London in November. <laughs> um, and Johnny has also snorting, as we've just heard, from the wrong side of the planet, all the way from Australia. It's Tom Ballard. Hello, bitches. <laughs> you're outnumbered. What are you talking about? You've got two Southern Hemispherians here. We, we no, rule. I mean, you're, you're a minority, mate. India is definitely still north of the equator, isn't it? I mean, you're going back a long I mean, going back a long time to the early days of the sort of Pangean world before India drifted north in a desperate attempt to change sides to the greatest hemisphere in the world. Um, <laughs> how's, uh, how's, uh, how's Australia, Tom? Oh, chugging along, you know how it is. Yes, sort of slowly trying to warm up. Well, in some parts of the country being a bit too warm, to be honest. Um, but the great news is, on the whole climate front, is that the Adani coal mine is going ahead, which is just wonderful news. Oh, awesome. So I uh, will be digging up a shitload of coal and burning that, and uh, <laughs> with, with no downside whatsoever, I assume. Oh, excellent. What if, oh, as long oh. as you ask the coal nicely, it's just generally pretty cooperative, isn't it? Yeah. yeah don't, let the, don't let the fossils have died in vain. <laughs> You're right, that is disrespectful. We should honour them, we yeah. should, like on Anzac Day. Yeah. <laughs> I have to ask, Tom, you know, uh, Adanis are one of the wealthiest Indian families, right? Um, and once they've done their duplicitous coal business within the country, it's only fair that they take it to Australia. Um, <laughs> so how do your environmentalists feel about a slightly shady Indian businessman filling your air with coal? Refuse. I think slightly shady is extremely generous of you, Adam. That's very nice. Um, look, we're not happy about it. There was a big campaign to stop it being financed by the government. Uh, a whole bunch of banks pulled out because they said they weren't going to back this stupid project because, yes, the price of coal is uh, is plummeting, and of course, and you know, there's that whole burning the planet thing. But now they've managed to sort out their own finances and they're going ahead. And uh, the the guy himself tweeted <laughs> tweeted today said, "Great news." The uh, coal mine's going ahead. Congratulations to all involved, and good luck for the future. Which I really, <laughs> really felt. Well, at least he didn't say warmest regards. I guess. But <laughs> much appreciated. Thanks to the good to the good people of Adani, one of the major sponsors of the podcast, I believe. Andy. <laughs> this is an entirely coal-fired podcast. The, uh, the recording engine. As we speak, is chugging, chugging along through that window. Uh, we are recording on Thursday, the 29th of November, 2018. On this day in 1972, Atari released Pong, 
the first commercially successful video game. No less, that was on, on this day in 1972. Pong, of course, a hyper-unrealistic 2D version of table tennis or a ping-pong. And that sparked a global industry in video games now worth, uh, well, uh, at a conservative estimate, more than $25,000 a decade. That is a, that is a ballpark figure. Some view Pong as an attempt to recreate uh, either table tennis or the negotiations involved in exiting a major international trading group such as the European <laughs> Union. <laughs> in its simplistic batting of a thing backwards and forwards to no discernible purpose. <laughs> Theresa May actually probably played Pong at some point in her life, so draw your own conclusions. Others <laughs> claim Pong seeks, uh, seeks to revivactualise the Pong element of ping pong, in other words, the horizontal batting of the board, but without the ping element of ping pong, which is, of course, the uh, that's an ancient Chinese word for the deeply psychological elemental battle for supremacy between two warring humans in a hostile universe where Darwin proclaims there can only be one winner. Uh, and Pong regarded as the fortnight of the second millennium, of course, but different, less so, and wrongly. Since Pong was released, humans have wasted an estimated combined total of 73.4 quadrillion hours playing computer games, time which, if used more productively by our species, could easily have led to cures for Alzheimer's, the Middle East crisis, time-wasting in football, capitalism, communism and death. Just ten years after Pong was released, however, Soviet hardman leader Lenny Brezhnev died, but then again, 15 years later, Mother Teresa died as well, so it's probably one all. Since Pong was released in 1972, the world population has almost doubled from its 3.8 billion total, proving that 2D recreations of sports give humans a greater disincentive to die than the prospect of eternal heaven or damnation, which of course predate Pong, whilst the population of Asia, Anuvab, has more than doubled Correct. in the Pong era, suggesting that playing table tennis simulation games on computers makes all Asian people horny. This is true. Um, incidentally, the film version of Pong is due out in uh, eight minutes from now and features Channing Tatum as one of the bats, Jennifer Lawrence as the other bat, and a CGI recreation of Greta Garbo as the ball. See, this this is the world we live in now. That's a funny joke, but in a world where the Emoji <laughs> movie has been released, that satire is just nothing to me. I'm like, I could absolutely believe that tomorrow there is a f- movie called f- I mean, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Is, yep. is a classic up there with Godfather and Casablanca. So. <laughs> Very much so. But I think my, that, yeah, I mean, that is a superb movie to watch as a small child on a long flight, as <laughs> my daughter discovered when I made her watch it twice on a flight to uh, Australia many years ago. Um, as always, a section of The Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, it's, uh, well, we're counting down to Christmas, also counting down, incidentally, to a new season of The Bugle. That is imminent. Details forthcoming. Another Bugly Dawn is on the way. And counting down to my Soho Theatre show beginning on the 18th of December. Uh, a tradition as old as, uh, well, as old as a two-year-old ferret who's turning three shortly. It is the third instalment of Andy Zaltzman's certifiable history this year, covering this year, and it is live at the Soho Theatre from the 18th to the 22nd of December, the 27th to the 29th of December, and the 2nd to the 5th of January. But in the bin this week, as we approach December, it is the Bugle Drabvent calendar. Uh, why raise expectations about this flawed planet with nice little pictures of things that happen at Christmas or, or Robins? <laughs> when we really should be revealing the true drabness of life. So with the Bugle Drabvent calendar, we give you 24 drab things to count you down to the unrealistic happy vision of Christmas. The 1st of December, an empty chocolate bar wrapper in a puddle next to a bin. 
2nd of December, a bus shelter still vandalised with the graffiti words, Thatcher out. <laughs> Please tell me you have 24. <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> 3rd of December, a nursing home covering up the no on a no vacancy sign. <laughs> <laughs> and 4th of December... Theresa May's face of natural repose. <laughs> uh, we will continue the Dravent calendar next week. <laughs> Top story this week, and we are going with quite literally the biggest story in world news this week. Tom, uh, you are the Bugle's oversized farm animals correspondent <laughs> and... What a week it's been. Well, indeed, I'd say it's the busiest week in this role that I have for the podcast that we've ever seen, really. Any, all anybody is talking about in Australia or indeed across the world is Knickers, who is, and I believe this is the technical term, a f***ing massive cow. He's a cow who is f***ing massive. He's a massive cow. He's a big old big f***ing cow. Hashtag big beefy. <laughs> Um, this has taken the world by storm. An ABC News story about the West Australian steer or cow. That's a controversy. We'll get to it a bit. Knickers. It went viral around the world because there were images of, show, uh, of the uh, of Knickers standing head and shoulders above all the other cows that are surrounding him. He is six foot four inches tall, making him taller than Arnold Schwarzenegger, almost as tall as Michael Jordan. And let me just check my notes here. Yeah, one. F- Massive cow. <laughs> We're talking about a f- big cow here. Expletives are required to capture the f***ing massive scale of this f***ing heifer. Andy, Nickers is so big he could crush you with an eyelash. Oh, wow. This cow is so big. What, how big? The, exactly. The bell he wears around his neck is the same bell from Big Ben. This cow <laughs> is so f- Big. Right, I mean, just just how just to confirm how big? Some cows jump over the moon. This one steps over the moon. It's a big <laughs> cow, Andy. Well, I mean, you say that, but and I mean, it's been a huge story. But some people have suggested that actually, he's not that big of a big cow. That he's merely a big cow rather than a big cow, which is a very important. <laughs> Technical difference. Some interesting things being said about him. Um, I read this one quote about him um, because he basically he was saved from the abattoir because he was too big to fit in it. So basically, he's a one cow metaphor for the global banking bailouts of two thousand and eight. <laughs> that his mere size saved him from oblivion. And uh, I, there was this article, I think, from the farmer uh, who runs him. Is that the term for what you do with a cow as a farmer? <laughs> he's a bit of a recluse, but he's got a lot of followers. Uh-oh! Does that sound familiar, anyone? Does he lock himself in his cow shed with 24-hour news channels and then go online to moo provocative bullshit? Li- literal, just to shit, literal bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Someone said steers. He's a steer, which is a castrated cow. Steers are castrated cattle, so they don't tend to be kept for breeding. Tend? I mean, under what circumstances would you override that powerful tendency? (laughs) Other than the blindest of blind optimism. Look, darling, I know we chopped his knackers off when he was a calf, but I've got a good feeling about this one. Let's do it. Bring in Ermintrude, the postmenopausal retired ex-coward. Let's get funky. (laughs) But as I said, nothing is real in this world of of 2018, Tom. And the Washington Post ran with a story saying the big cow is a lie. Are you going to defend your nation against this accusation of uh, farm animal size mendaciousness? Well, first of all, can I say, it feels like the Washington Post 
might want to dedicate its resources to some slightly more important matters in the world. Like, I don't know, all the democracy that's f***ing dying in the darkness? But, yes, they've said the big cow is a lie, so I assume uh, knickers will soon be a major policy of the Trump administration. Um, they said, it, yes, it, it was a male cow, so it's technically a steer, and that his breed does actually tend to get quite big, and that all the cows surrounding knickers in all the video and footage that we've seen are wagyu, are quite young wagyu cattle, which are actually quite sort of small. So as you see on a technicality, blah, 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 all I can say is, F- you, Washington Post, don't take this away from us. The world is on fire, fascism is on the rise, the poor are starving. Can't we all just come together and enjoy this very large cow? <laughs> is that so wrong? Gentlemen, I have a question. Yes. Um, don't we live in a world where we are all entitled to our own cow facts? <laughs> well, absolutely. And obviously, coming, coming from India, where... Yes. Finally, Andy, yeah. there is a cow reasonably large enough that we can worship. <laughs> We've been worshipping shitty, small, pathetic cows. Finally, there's a six-foot-four cow that we can look up to. Yeah? And not the rubbish that stands in our street corners. The finally, thank you, Australia. You know, uh, we gave you electricity with Adani by burning our own coal. You gave us a giant cow, I think. I think, Tom, this is what we call fair trade. We didn't give you anything. Don't you come steal our big cow. Don't you do that to those. <laughs> I like the, the fact that he's, like, too big to eat, that he was, yeah, he was too big. He wouldn't fit on the sort of the uh, the, the mechanism to go into the abattoir. It means that he's too big to eat. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I can certainly relate to the experience of blowing out in size so much that no one wants to put their mouth around you. So I actually <laughs> see a lot of myself in knickers in that respect. Right. Um, family show, Tom. Oh, sorry, sorry. So, come on, that was that was as family as it gets. I meant, I meant blowjobs. Um, All right. Yeah. So, just to clarify, that took me a second to understand that. Thank, thank you. <laughs> I have to. I have to say uh, on the Twitter feed, Tom, um, there was a lovely tweet from an Australian gentleman with a photograph, and it said, "Please enjoy this enormous Australian cow," <laughs> which is not a tweet one sees very often. <laughs> Isn't it nice? Everyone's just loving, loving Nickers and enjoying him very much, which is great. The Washington Post actually also said, this is also just for weight, uh, to put it in the context of the weight, Nickers weighs around roughly 2,800 pounds, which is the approximate equivalent of 14 and a half Danny DeVitos. Now, <laughs> that's, that's the imperial system. So for Australian listeners, that's about 21 Paul Hogan's. And for Canadian <laughs> listeners, that's about 35 Celine Dion's. So just so you know. That is a fantastic statistic. <laughs> I just want to measure all life in how many Joe Pesci's something is going to be. <laughs> You have 1,000 rupees? How many Joe Pesci's is that? <laughs> well, one of the great problems with that system is then uh, you get into a Marlon Brando situation and uh, you know, then the International Actors' Weight Foundation has to come in and try and regulate the currency. <laughs> <laughs> Mr Pearson, who is the owner of uh, Knickers, I really like the sound of him. He sounds like the most Australian bloke because he's, he's had widespread media attention. Media outlets from right across the world have been hitting him up, trying to get his comment on Knickers and, and get an insight into this massive cow. And uh, he's just quoted as saying, yeah, look, we run a reasonable cattle operation. We like the exposure Knickers has gotten, but we've got a day-to-day operation to continue on with. <laughs> So he's just like, yeah, I know we've got the f***ing Godzilla of the cow world out the back there, but bloody hell, don't bang on about it, all right? Stop carrying on like an old pork chop. It's not even pork, for God's sakes. Bloody hell, I'm flat out. I can't be dealing with all your bloody knickers nonsense, all right? 
He even got a request from Ripley's Believe It or Not. <laughs> and he said, I had an offer from Ripley's for him to go into that sector, but I just said, oh, I'll put something on paper and send it to us and we'll have a look at it. <laughs> it's the most distra- I'm just flat out. I've got a lot on at the moment. I can't be bloody putting people in Ripley's Believe It or Not museums around the world, mate. He's off. Well, I mean, what 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 does the future hold for for knickers? And because you can see, you know, some great oil tycoon from from the Middle East coming in with a big money transfer offer to uh, turn turn knickers into a celebrity burger. Um, <laughs> so not technically the biggest cow ever, um, but nevertheless, we are having a special other animal records section, uh, including the wiggliest worm. Uh, that was Travel who is a four-inch-long earthworm from Switzerland. He recorded a 26.4 full-body slalom squiggles in just 18 seconds. Uh, The world's most agoraphobic condor, that was Esteban from Chile. He hasn't left his roost for four years. Fattest stick insect, uh, Stevie the Log Six Legs, who uh, recorded a 2.3-centimetre waist. Not judging. The biggest-selling whale recording artists, uh, Patsy Pod and the Bellinas, um... Uh, They're the top-selling whale music collective, and they've gone watery platinum with 12 of their albums. They had a hit whale song number one with uh, the single... Brackets, Touch My Fin, as well as... And, of course, their Unforgettable, which roughly translates as, I fell in love with the plankton and now I've eaten it. (laughs) That's my favourite song. Yeah. Um, and finally, uh, most confused penguin. Uh, that uh, current winner of that is Enid, a chinstrap penguin, uh, used as a stunt body double for the school day scene in the recent fictionalised horror biopic of the former British Prime Minister David Cameron. Uh, insurance premiums did not cover using a human body double for the young uh, future Prime Minister and future of the nation shafter. So they used a penguin instead due to the similarity between a penguin and the distinctive Eton College uniforms that Cameron would have worn. <laughs> At school. Enid reportedly distressed, but alive. (laughs) Other world news now, and uh, Donald Trump has uh, completely given up any pretense that he is not a dictator, uh, which, I mean, is a relief. He's getting it all above board. He put out uh, a pair of tweets in which he said, uh, while CNN doesn't do great in the United States based on ratings... Outside the US, they have very little competition. Throughout the world, CNN has a powerful voice portraying the US in an unfair and false way. Something has to be done, including the possibility of the United States starting our own worldwide network to show the world the way we really are. Great. (laughs) Now, to be fair to Trump, he did manage to stop short of saying, say what you like, but old Joseph knew how to get his message across. (laughs) and you can decide which of the Josephs I'm referring to. That's entirely up to you. I'm not, you know, politically could go one of two equally unpleasant ways. And, I mean, here at The Bugle, uh, this is very exciting for us, uh, a state propaganda channel for America. Um, I imagine John Oliver is sitting by his phone waiting for a, an offer to uh, be the host and anchor of their uh, flagship 
per her news programme. Uh, here at The Beagle, we're delighted to offer a prize to our US, American and United States listeners. Have your show commission for the new America First Propaganda Network. Perhaps you want to see a fun new children's cartoon called Gerby the Propaganda Goose or Itch the Witch, in which a blindfolded member of the White House staff scratches female Democrat politicians, whichever one is the first one to say, ow, is proved to be a witch. <laughs> and also Reds Under the Breads, a hilarious McCarthy-tinged Bake Off-style game show when uh, celebrity guests attempting to make a fantastic focaccia, a perfect pumpernickel or a beautiful baguette are accused of communist leanings based on quite literally trumped-up evidence and then have to defend themselves with their freshly baked loaf as they are physically attacked by an angry mob. I mean, the <laughs> possibilities for this channel are absolutely sensational. Andy, I have a quick view on television, which is that it's much better if run by dictators. All oh, right, OK. That's a, <laughs> not, I mean, not, not everyone has traditionally agreed with that, so perhaps you can just fill in the gaps... What well, on that? Here's here's my theory, okay. Andy. Top Kim Jong Il, yeah, father of the of Kim Jong Un, um, he ran North Korean state television, right? Um, I do not wish to speak ill of the dead, um, but Kim Jong Il, one of the things he did was that TV had to be piped into every apartment in Pyongyang, and six of the eight hours of television were his speeches. Wow, amazing ratings. <laughs> And you could turn it down, but you couldn't turn it off. <laughs> now, that to me is proper television. The Real Housewives of Atlanta <laughs> has nothing on the speeches of King Jong-il. Right. right? Now, he's telling you what you need to watch. The problem is choices, Andy. The problem in a free market ratings-based television is choices. If, for example, all you're allowed to watch are Trump's speeches and you can't turn it off, you know what you like or don't like because there's nothing else to like. <laughs> right. That just kind of makes sense. That's basically how kids of my generation got into watching Test Match Cricket because it was that or nothing. <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm not equating Test Match Cricket with the speeches of either Kim Jong-il or Donald Trump, but, but the point essentially stands. There'd be a lot fewer annoying conversations about, yeah, have you caught up on, the, on that cool new box set TV show? It's like, no, it's all just <laughs> Trump being a f moron. <laughs> Can I suggest that America already has a worldwide network talking about how great America is? It's called f***ing Hollywood! Alright? <laughs> Can I refer you to Missions Impossible 1 through 6? <laughs> now that is a very valid point, Tom. You know, when the world is blowing up, it's always the White House that has to solve. It's never the Prime Minister of Sri Lanka <laughs> <laughs> that's burdened with solving the world's problems. This is true. Uh, in other uh, Trump news, uh, Melania Trump has um, been photographed with the White House Christmas decorations, which are essentially a forest of blood-red trees, <laughs> which look alarmingly like handmaids. And uh, is this? are they just testing the waters before fully rolling out Margaret Atwood's vision of a better America? <laughs> I think this is an all-in game, gentlemen, which is that if everyone is saying your administration is dystopian, go with a dystopian theme. <laughs> Don't go with a friendly sort of, you know, that all-loving Christmas jolly theme. Just go, go all in. So the prominent ones, Margaret Atwood, Aldous Huxley, A.G. Wells, those would be like the future themes, I think, at Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. Quick Brexit update now. We're all going to die. Um, 
I mean, that is independent of Brexit, of course. But the point still stands. You can use these facts however you want in this Brexit era. We are all going to die because of whatever Brexit deal is eventually agreed or not agreed upon. Uh, Theresa May this week showed that she still has her finger on the irregularly throbbing pulse of Britain by communicating with the nation in the only way the people of this country understand. A piece of junk mail trying to flog us something that no-one wants. Uh, Tessie the Tentative sent the nation a letter. She, she spammed Britain, essentially, with a letter um, asking this querulous land to pretend to unite in a way that only comes even close to happening during particularly fruity global conflicts. Uh, good luck uh, with that. Uh, this letter was, at best, unconvincing, uh, telling us that we need to come together with this thing that, well, either people didn't want or people wanted a different version of. To be fair to me, she has been dealt an unplayable hand and she's played that unplayable hand Shitly, uh, understandably shitly, but shitly nonetheless. Uh, the latest plans also have been released for Brexit Day, the 29th of March, currently scheduled for uh, next year, when we will hurl ourselves off the diving board of destiny, attempting a triple-twisting pike-back somersault that we've never practised into the liberatingly toxic swamp of perceived freedom. Uh, Isn't it weird how Brexit 29th... Day gets earlier and earlier every year? <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate this commercialisation of Brexit Day, you know what I mean? I feel like we've lost the spirit of it. All the handmade decorations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Melania's trees are much more appropriate for what your country's going through, Andy. <laughs> Uh, in Hyde Park on the 29th of March, the government has announced that it will conscript a million-strong crowd of Brexit voters, alive and dead, to simultaneously <laughs> belch the national anthem in a southward direction. There'll be a live ceremony in Westminster Abbey at which Boris Johnson, the squawking hemorrhoid of delusion himself, will ceremonially yank out a ceremonial arrow from the eye socket of a giant robotic King Harold, who will then ceremonially come back to life and shout, Up yours, Norman No Mates, to a French exchange student in a William the Conqueror outfit taking back control. The Queen, meanwhile, will parade around London in a Union Jack feathered chicken outfit and will ceremonially lay, lay four giant eggs, one for each of England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, symbolising the rebirth of our nations. Before celebrity chef laureate Jamie Oliver cracks the Unitedly Kingdom ovuloids into a pan and cooks a single British omelette to represent the unbreakable holy union that has kept this nation unified as one since the dawn of time. The Duke of Edinburgh, meanwhile, will uh, take... Emmanuel Filiberto of Savoy, the Prince of Venice, the only male line grandson of the last King of Italy, and ceremonially force his head into a British toilet before flushing it and shouting, Capiche, Signor Foreign Face, then giving the soggy faced pseudo prince a cuddle and saying, Still friends. It's really what Brexit is all about. There are also plans for an upgrade to the White Cliffs of Dover, which currently stand at 110 metres high, but will be extended upwards by 350 metres, <laughs> just to make our point. So you'll build the wall. <laughs> yeah, build the cliff. God, even your walls are white. That's impressive. <laughs> I've been coming to your country the last couple of years. I've heard the words customs union so often. Yeah. Does anyone actually know what that means? No. No, I mean, that's the thing with all these terms with Brexit is they're all a bit complicated and it's best just to say them and, and, and hope that you sound like you know what you're talking about because fundamentally no one knows what they're talking about because it is too complicated for the human brain. <laughs> well, the UK government seems to uh, have some very interesting thoughts on how it's all going to 
rollout, official figures say the UK economy could be up to 3.9% smaller after 15 years under Theresa May's Brexit plan compared with staying in the EU. How big do you want your economy to be, Andy? I've always said <laughs> the UK's economy could lose a little few, a few pounds, you know. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen over 15 years. So... <laughs> Are you are you body shaming our economy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lose, lose a few, fatty. <laughs> you don't have much of a choice. And as far as I can tell, the entire British economy seems to be made up entirely of British comedians going on TV travel shows with their dads. So I think <laughs> I think losing three point nine percent of them would be fine. <laughs> Independent experts have said that that 3.9% of GDP would equate to about £100 billion a year by the 2030s. But on the bright side, Andy, by 2030, £100 billion will be worth about 20 quid. (laughs) (laughs) Bingo. Thank you. But also, I think, I mean, it's not just about what Britain's going to lose. We haven't been told what Europe is also going to lose, because that's what Brexit was about. It was, I mean, we're not concerned about damaging our own economy as long as we take those foreign f***ers <laughs> down with us. <laughs> Scorched earth, Andy. Scorched yeah. earth. India news now. Uh, Anuvab, I understand there's some been some hugely exciting news in the world of Indian art. There is, Andy. Um... We've decided that we want to have the largest statue in the world, so we built it. Right. Um, I was doing some research, Andy. So India and China have 60 of the top 100 statues in the world. Um, And I have a a theory I've developed, Andy. I want to know what you think of this. I think a nation's average height is inversely proportional to the height of its statues. (laughs) (laughs) Average height of both nations in India and China Five foot six inches. Yeah. Right. Average height of the statues there, hundreds of feet. (laughs) (laughs) Danish people, giants. Main statue in Denmark, the Little Mermaid. (laughs) (laughs) Tiny bit of nonsense in the middle of Copenhagen to commemorate Hans Christian Andersen. They don't need it. So we have the tallest statue in the world right now. The next are about 30 Buddhas. But ours is a statue of the Indian freedom fighter Vallabhai Patel. Um, it stands 100 feet above the Colossus of Rhodes, which was about the height of the Statue of Liberty when it existed. Vallabhai Patel was an Indian freedom fighter. It is said in, on Wikipedia that he was a key negotiator uh, in keeping India together after independence. What that means is he just sent in the army <laughs> and said, if you do not want to be a part of India, we'll kill you, which is... A fair way to negotiate, I think. Uh, today, he he's the first thing that you'll see as you fly into India. And I don't think it helps that the statue is that tall, is that they put a red blinking light on his head <laughs> so that an Emirates plane doesn't run into him. <laughs> I don't know if that's a fair commemoration, but I think we're trying. I think, I think we're saying something to the world because... Uh, the inspiration for it was the statue of Colossus at Rhodes. Um, and the Colossus at Rhodes is, is much shorter than the Vallabhai Patel statue. And Indian architects did a lot of research into the Colossus of Rhodes, which was basically a giant naked Greek man yep. wearing a cape holding a sword. And we said, that would be a little inappropriate <laughs> because nobody wants to see a giant naked Indian man. 
So we had a distinguished freedom fighter wearing a shawl with a red light on his head. And and that that is currently our contribution to the world, Andy. Giant statues. And interestingly, it's 597 feet tall. Yes. Statue. If you're going to build it to 597 feet, why not just put another three feet on it so you top the 600? That's bizarre to me. Because that is that is 199 yards. That's one yard, three feet to a yard, one yard off the 200-yard. 199, of course, coincidentally, the highest test match score of Mohammed Azaruddin, <laughs> the former Indian cricket captain and match fixer. What Indeed. messages are we sending here? <laughs> Indeed. No, that's a great point, Andy. In fact, I think they asked Azaruddin, how long tall do you want the statue to be? <laughs> and he said, why don't we go with my average? Um, 597 feet. What is that in Danny DeVito's? Can you put it in terms that normal people can understand, please, Andy? Well, I think it's what if? Uh, well, I mean that's that's got, what about a hundred and it's a lot. One hundred and twelve Danny DeVitos, I think. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just saying the biggest statue we have in Australia is Nickers the cow, so I'm struggling to keep up with you guys. <laughs> uh, but it's not going to be the record-breaking statue for long because uh, apparently there's a statue set to be uh, unveiled in the year 2021 of uh, of Shivaji, correct? Who is a 17th century Indian warrior? Warrior, yes. Uh, that'll be 696 feet. I mean, again, just Correct. go for the 700, <laughs> for f***'s sake. Have you no sense of numerical landmarks? Uh, if Indian statues continue increasing at the current rate, by the year 2183, a statue will be built of the Indian snooker star Pankaj Advani that will be so big that it will displace the world off its axis and send the planet careering into space before it cannons off the moon before then coming to rest tucked in behind Mars in a good position to knock the red planet in for, in for one and screw back for a shot at Jupiter before cleaning up the outer planets. Um, and uh, I guess... Um, and you've just given an idea to all Indian architects listening to this podcast. <laughs> but it, it's interesting that, that, that clearly Sardar Patel is a, a huge figure in Indian history and a statue, which is a project, project of your, <laughs> your opinion-splitting Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, um, is designed to reflect his standing in Indian politics and history. And similarly, in Britain, we are about to unveil a statue of David Cameron <laughs> that will be two inches tall in an eight-foot ditch <laughs> and covered with a lump of badger shit. <laughs> in further world teetering on the edge of total chaos news now, the G20 are meeting in Buenos Aires. Now, we, throughout the history of the Bugle, have kept you up to date on what the G20 is not. It, of course, is not simply the seventh option in a multiple-choice quiz about the number of times in the average minutes that Boris Johnson thinks about the speech he's going to make to the press outside 10 Downing Street the day he becomes Prime Minister. Nor is G20 merely a sign that you're playing Scrabble against a cheat. Uh, nor... Is G20 what you would reply if someone asked you the question, in an ideal world, how many tickets would you like for Andy Zaltzman's 2018 The Certifiable History <laughs> at the Soho Theatre from the 18th of December to the 5th of January? G20. All details online at the Soho Theatre website. Uh, the G20 are, of course, the leaders of the world's richest, most powerful, richest, richest and most powerful nations. And they are heading to Argentina, and such is the esteem in which the head honchos of the world are held, that the entire city is being shut down while they're there. There's a public holiday, no public transport, there are no-go zones sprouting up all over the city, all flights are diverted. This is... I mean, you put all the world's leaders in one place, that I mean, just nothing else is allowed to happen. 
I mean, Andy, look, this is fantastic. But I think the main reason for this is the Saudi Arabian crown prince is going to be there, yeah. right? So you know from recent news that any time the Saudi Arabian crown prince shows up somewhere with security guards and suitcases, run. <laughs> <laughs> the Turkish know it better than anyone else, but Washington Post knows it. <laughs> Um, I mean, it is. I mean, it's a very interesting. I mean, it could, just generally, the world, the G20 are a collection of the world's smartest, dressed despots, shysters, democratic elected leaders, criminals, human rights violators, and murderers. <laughs> and, and just some tick more of those boxes at once than others. Some only tick one. Some tick tick the lot. And uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the uh, Saudi Crown Prince, come hitman, which is an interesting new strain of multitasking <laughs> from the self-styled Saudi scribe slayer. Uh, he is uh, it is set to attend despite the threat of an, an arrest warrant that could be uh, issued on charges that he was insufficiently assiduous in taking every available step to ensure that dissenting journalists in embassies were not killed, bone sawed to pieces and disappeared by a squad of state operatives who just happened to be passing through at the same time. Of course, we'll let uh, the legal system be the uh, the arbiter uh, of that. The Prince, of course, is keen to maintain Saudi Arabia's uh, standing as a trading force uh, with the other G20 leaders and to make his point has been reportedly uh, making the noise of a car failing to start after running out of fuel as a simple means of getting his point across to the other 19 Gs. <laughs> and also, the Saudi delegation is, is apparently arriving in six planes and uh, it's interesting how they chose that number of planes, six planes, with most delegations just arriving in one plane. They've chosen that number just in case they have to fly back from the summit with the limbs, head and torso of a Saudi sceptic journalist separately packaged for safekeeping. <laughs> Trump's coming in on ten planes, uh, whereas the UK, your shitty little country, Andy, is arriving in merely, merely one. How's that empire going? Everything all right? Yeah. That's probably an Air India plane. <laughs> We've still got Gibraltar. It's not over yet. <laughs> You're so right. The G20 is so gross. These awful like warmongers getting together, just looking past human rights abuses, furthering the interests of global capital at the expense of everybody else. And yet I still hate it less than the T20 because that's cricket. <laughs> and cricket's bad. Which is a similar collection of people, actually. <laughs> Yeah, who's more corrupt, the T20 or the G20? <laughs> oh, that is impossible to say. Tough. Yeah. Tough. Question about Saudi Arabia, gentlemen. Um, now, Saudi Arabia... The no questions Prince about at... Saudi Arabia! <laughs> <laughs> what? Anuvab disappeared in the Riyadh consulate? What happened? Um, the question is, Saudi Arabians are the largest investors in Uber. So were the Saudi Crown Prince to be detained kept in a consulate, as Irony would have it, in the middle of Buenos Aires, would there be millions of people just stranded on their morning commute? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Well, I guess that's a good way to keep the world on side, isn't it? Correct. Genius. My driver is six days late, <laughs> according to the map, <laughs> because the crown prince is in a consulate in Buenos Aires. <laughs> Sport now, and, uh, well, it's been uh, thrilling stuff at the World Chess Championships. The World Chess Champion Magnus Carlsen has won the World Chess Championship to retain the title of being still the reigning World Chess Champion. After 12 draws in a row, 
against uh, the American upstart Fabiano Caruana. 12 draws in a row, an inaction-packed, nerve-de-jangling anti-thriller that put the block back into blockbuster and hark back to the true glory days of Test Match cricket when sport was played not for glory, not for excitement and not for victory. It was played to enable participants and spectators to commune soothingly with the essential futility of existence. Uh, Carlson and Caruana went at each other, unused hammer and still-packaged tongs over a fortnight. Neither man was able to put the other's queen in the back of the net or hit the king out of the chess park. And then it went to a sudden-death chess-off, with each player allowed one new piece they'd invented themselves. Carlson went for the public relations officer, a low-movement, high-impact piece that stays on the same square out of danger but makes your opponent's pieces turn on each other and take each other off the board. Whilst Caruana, foolishly with hindsight, chose the footballer, uh, which danced uh, up the board but then threw itself to the ground, claiming to have been fouled by Carlson's bishop, thus instantly resigning the game. Uh, ultimately, Carlson's superior pawn work, he used highly motivated immigrant pawns who moved twice the numbers of spaces in the same amount of moves. That proved decisive, whilst Caruana regretted turning his castle into a luxury boutique hotel that looked great but lacked basic chess functionality. A disappointed Caruana said regretfully afterwards, I can't help feeling that I left a lot of chess pieces out there on the chessboard, but f*** it, it's basically glamorising feudalism, so I'm f***ing glad I lost. And why is there a bishop and not an imam or a rabbi? What kind of f***ing message is that sending. <laughs> I wish I watched it now. Sounds good. <laughs> well, that brings us kicking and screaming to the end <laughs> of this week's uh, this week's bugle. Uh, I do hope uh, you've enjoyed it. It's been a delight to have you both uh, both back on. Um, and um, don't forget to come to all of my Soho shows from the 18th of December to the 5th of January. Uh, have you guys got anything you want to plug? There's something on the BBC World Service that I'm doing some stand-up, but that's boring. The, what I want to mention is that I'm leaving London to go do a show for Indian scientists who are working in Geneva at the CERN Research Centre, um, which is the place where they try to do, discover the God particle. Yeah. And I'm a bit concerned that these scientists are trying to say that God is Indian, right. which makes sense because he's mysterious, absent, duplicitous and everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> And the gentleman said, you know, we want some stand-up because we're trying to bring an Indian perspective to space research. And it <laughs> really worries me because I have a feeling that if they do that, they're going to say nonsense like if Jupiter does not behave itself, it will be reborn as a three-headed dog. <laughs> so that's where I'm off to, Andy. Okay, right. Well, try to make sure the whole planet doesn't blow up. That hasn't happened yet, has it? Rich, Rich? still no uh, destruction of the planet caused by the CERN particle accelerator. That's no. good. Right. Uh, Rich standing in for Chris there. I don't think that's the first time we feature on the show right at the end. Going to cut that later, isn't right, it? Okay. <laughs> awesome. Tom, have you got anything coming up to alert our listeners to? Uh, yeah, I'm doing a gig for NASA soon. Uh, I'll be <laughs> talking about gravity and... Uh, well, no, I'm, not, I'm doing the Chuckle Hut Ha Ha Club, but f- nowhere. But um, no, my 2019 stand-up show is called Enough, and I'd love everyone to come along to that around Australia. It's heading around all the festivals. And again, I just really want to reiterate that Knickers is just a very large uh, cow. Okay, <laughs> thank Consider that reiterated. Thank you. Uh, do send us some emails to hellobuglers at thebuglepodcast.com next week we'll have details on this uh, this new relaunch re-relaunch of the bugle that will be coming uh, coming soon thanks very much for listening until next time goodbye hi it's producer Chris from the bugle here did you know that I have a new series of my podcast Richie Firth Travel Hacker out now 
It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs> 